Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, guys? I'm really excited for part one of this two-part conversation with Dr. William Lee. Dr. Lee has been a key part of developing 40 FDA-approved therapeutics and devices for cancer, cardiovascular disease, and more. So when I say this guy knows what he's talking about, I really mean it. And in his latest book, Eat to Beat Your Diet, he's upending some of the most long-held and cherished beliefs in the medical community about how to address your health and body fat through diet. In this episode, we talk about why not every person with excess body fat is metabolically unhealthy, and we get into the debate around whether or not you can actually be healthy at any size. You guys are going to be surprised about some of the things that Dr. Lee says on that one. I know I was. There is a lot of incredible new research coming out that will directly impact how you approach your diet and lifestyle. And in this episode, Dr. Lee lays out a ton of it and in ways that has already impacted my own choices. And I do not doubt for one second that it's going to impact yours as well. If you want more conversations like this, definitely let us know by leaving a review and following the show. It makes a huge difference in helping us get the show out to more people just like you. I'm Tom Bilyeu, and welcome to Impact Theory. And your new book makes a pretty bold assertion that I would like to get straight into around fat and that being fat does not necessarily mean that you're metabolically unhealthy. That was scandalous when I read it. So how can that be true? Now, listen, I'm going to throw myself under the bus here. When I was in medical school, I was given the same uh, lecture about metabolism that pretty much you can look up on Wikipedia. You know, it's a blah, 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 chemical reactions. And everybody assumes that has these assumptions about body fat and metabolism, right? So you're born with a faster, slow metabolism. And if you're born with a slow metabolism, you're going to struggle with your food because you're going to actually gain a lot of body fat and struggle with your weight. That's what a lot of people feel. People always feel that like um, your metabolism is going to shoot up when you're a teenager, eating two or three dinners, bouncing off the wall full of energy, must be metabolism going up. Uh, and then, of course, the the main thing is that people in their middle age, you know, like 30 is sort of like the last golden era of fitness. Once you get to 40, 45, 50, 55, menopause, you know, all that kind of stuff, your shape's going to change because your metabolism is going to slow down. You're going to gain body fat because of a slow metabolism. Mm. And so I always wanted to figure out, all right, why does all that happen? And is it actually true that we're born with different metabolisms and metabolism naturally slows as we get older? And that being fat is bad for you. This is the part that I consider scandalous. Well, well, here's the thing. Being fat is a subjective statement. What I would actually say that that, that my, my book addresses is that body fat isn't harmful 
in normal in, at a normal level. Fat is actually good. Uh, the big discovery is that fat is an actual organ in your body mm -hmm. that forms when you're in the womb. And in fact, if you didn't have body fat, you wouldn't have a metabolism. You need body fat. It creates hormones that drive, that fuel your metabolism. It sounds kind of weird, like it, like it would be the opposite. But in fact, if you didn't have body fat, you wouldn't have any energy, all right? It's only when you have too much body fat that uh, that basically the entire system goes into chaos, all right? Too much body fat, a, a little bit of body fat is like air traffic control running the way it is, landing planes, taking them off the runway. Too much body fat is basically like uh, putting a, a rock and roll band into air traffic control tower, mm. all right, and playing as loud as they can and having the crowds ru rush in. And now the air traffic controllers are distracted, don't know what to do, and extra body fat derails your metabolism. So it's not a slow metabolism that causes you to gain body fat and gain weight. It's the other way around. Extra body fat slows your metabolism. So it's not quite right that being fat is good. Having fat is good. Mm. Having too much fat is bad. Let me ask a really pointed question yeah. that I took away from your book that you're going to say yes to this, but I maybe not. Uh, in the book, the paraphrase that I wrote down was being big isn't necessarily bad. And so what I want to know is, can you be clinically obese and be healthy? Like, could you, when you look at somebody, when I'll, I'll say it from my perspective, when I look at somebody who's clinically obese with love in my heart, I just think they're killing themselves. And just by seeing that they're obese, I know they're unhealthy. But when I was reading your book, it made it sound like I can't make that assumption. They may be, because it certainly isn't automatic that having that kind of body fat is good, but it may not be as automatic as I thought that that kind of body fat is bad. Great point to discuss. So body size is different than body fat and obesity. So people are big. They can, be, they can have big body size. I mean, think about a heavyweight boxer or an Olympian who actually, you know, is a weightlifter. Those are big people. Let's All go right. to the example you give in the book, which is a sumo wrestler. Exactly. I was going to bring that up. So I look at a sumo wrestler and I just assume they die young. A hundred percent, no ifs, ands, or buts, they are going to die young. The amazing thing is that they are actually at a peak of fitness uh, when they're actually training and they're overloading their bodies and they, to develop that shape, they're very strong. They're metabolically stable. Uh, they don't actually have problems with glucose regulation. What does metabolically stable mean? It means that they are able to process their food without having huge insulin spikes. It means that they're, they have normal levels of energy. Their inflammation levels are not through the roof, which by the way, is a matter of training, sleep, discipline, food. Their diet is very specific as well. Um, but the point is that if a sumo wrestler isn't tragically ill for the period of their career. We do need to rethink just because you're big doesn't mean that you're sick. Now, chronic obesity coupled with poor diet, coupled with that leads to inflammation, coupled with poor sleep, coupled with stress, coupled with lack of physical activity. Okay. That it's sort of the, that's the, that's the train wreck that actually begins to happen. What do we know about longevity of sumo wrestlers? Do they, cause like you'll often hear the statement and I haven't looked closely enough at the data to know if this is true, but it seems intuitively true that you don't get heavy set centenarians, like people that make it to that age, they're all going to be thin. Uh, 
I don't think that's necessarily true. It's what we would imagine to be true. Uh, I think people can be portly. They could be middling. But is there in any size. data on this? I don't know of any data that takes a look at, you know, uh, I mean, look, I, I, I think that what you're trying to get at is, is there evidence that obesity actually is not harmful, but helpful perhaps, and that you could have better longevity by being having ex, carrying on excess body fat? And the answer is no. Yeah. I'm going to say your book paints a far more nuanced picture. Yeah. And so the, the, nitty gritty that I want to get into is around that. So the case that I'm trying to build to see if I can get myself on board with this idea, because reading that, and I happen to be researching two people right now that are both making a very similar claim in their books. And I was, so literally in the last 48 hours, I feel like I've had my world upended and it's like, oh, the earth is, is round. It's not flat. What? And so I, I feel on unshaky ground. So here's how I read your book. Okay. There is a sweet spot. You can be too fat and you can not have enough fat. But there are two times in the book where you say that actually being skinny is the more dangerous thing. And so you said you're far more likely to die of all-cause mortality if you're underweight than if you're overweight. So that was startling statistic number one. And then the other one was that if you're if you have lean diabetes, which I'd never even heard that phrase before, but I get it, what I used to call skinny fat. Mm -hmm. So if you have lean diabetes, you have the blood markers. Like if I was looking at your blood panel, because metabolically you're just a mess, uh, I would assume that you were obese. But in reality, you're not. That that's more dangerous. 2.5 times you're more likely to die. I don't know. I can't remember if it was all-cause mortality or heart disease or whatever, but you were two and a half times more likely to something terrible. Uh, if you were lean diabetes than if you were obese and had diabetes. So I was like, whoa, this really does feel like the table's been upended. Yeah, so let's kind of do a reset to say, what does body fat actually do, okay? And 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 I, you know, so as I was writing this book, because I'm very curious about where things come from, where does fat come from? Fat isn't, you know, we associate fat as adults as, you know, something we see in the mirror and we step out of the shower and we might not like what we're seeing or step on a scale and you look at a number of some which you're expecting and you kind of curse it, right? Or if you walk to the grocery store and you walk by the butcher section, the meat section, you see nice steak with a big rind of fat on it. You go, ugh. Like it's, it's, we're, we're, as a society, I think that we have some repulsion to the idea of seeing anything that's associated with fat. Mm. But it turns out that it's not always true. When we look at babies, when babies make us smile, they're pudgy, they're fat, big pot bellies, big fat cheeks, our arms and legs are like balloons twisted together, like in the, you know, in a carnival. It's uh, cute on the baby. It was not, not cute. Like if I rolled out of the shower looking like twisted balloons, I would not be impressed. That's true. But on the other hand, if you had a baby that had chiseled cheekbones, long, thin arms, mm. long, thin thighs, like a, like a runway model, that would also not be cool. You would think that that baby is sick, and indeed it would be. And so the real question that I started asking is, what is the developmental role and what is the adult role of body fat? When does it start and what does it do over the course of our lifetime? Because you talk about longevity. So what does actually this thing called fat actually do? When does it start and where does it go? So here's actually the interesting thing. Body fat starts in the womb uh, at about eight weeks after your mom's egg met your dad's sperm. 
And the first tissue that gets laid down are blood vessels because every organ needs a circulation. Then the next tissue are nerves because you need instructions to be able to operate your organs and the nerves can convey those instructions. Another tissue that forms right after that is fat. Fat, the cells that comprise fat are called adipocytes. Okay, um, adipose tissue, adipocytes. And the way that they form looks like bubble wrap. You know the bubble wrap you use oh, for yeah. packing, right? The, the small bubble wrap. Mm. And what they do, it's like they bubble wrap around blood vessels. Mm. And you go like, okay, so they're not forming like in the waist or the butt right away. Why do they form around blood vessels? Well, it turns out this has to do with a later fate of what the fat cells actually do for you. Fat cells, one of the functions that they do, uh, they're padding. Okay, so good thing we have fat to pad us. If we didn't have any body fat, we slipped on the rug, fell on the ground, our organs might rupture. All right, so padding is good. Number two, fat, and this has to do with the blood vessels. Fat cells are fuel tanks for our energy. All right, so our metabolism relies on fuel tanks, just like your car uh, relies on some kind of either a battery or a fuel tank. And when your fuel runs low, you got to actually go to the filling station or the charging station to tank up, fill up on your, your, your fuel for your car. Similarly, when our fuel tanks run low in our body under healthy conditions, okay, uh, our, our, we, we have to go pull over to the filling station, what happens to be a dinner table, a refrigerator, pantry, restaurant, to be able to fill up on our energy, which comes from our food and our metabolism uses all the energy it needs to kind of run its operating system. So blinking, heart beating, walking around, but anything extra gets stored in those adipocytes into our fat. Now, why are they near blood vessels? Because when you f swallow food, you digest it from your stomach, it gets absorbed or your uh, small intestines gets absorbed into your bloodstream. And guess where the energy needs to get stored? Right in the fuel tank, right out of the blood vessels. So from a time you were babies, before we're born, that's where the fuel tanks are. All right. And that's what one of the things that it does. Padding fuel tank. The third the, the third thing that fat does for normal healthy function, for metabolism, for health, is it actually is an endocrine organ. Mm. So our fat releases hormones, normal healthy hormones for our metabolism. At least 15 hormones have been identified from fat that fat makes almost exclusively. And three of them are critical for having normal energy, normal metabolism, our fat controls normal metabolism in healthy people. So what are, they, what are the three uh, hormones that I wanna talk about? Number one, uh, something called leptin. Now you might've heard of leptin as sort of like the satiety hormone, it makes you feel full. But I like to explain leptin as a volume switch. When you actually have um, a lot of leptin, you are not that hungry. Uh, but it, you can talk, you can, it's not a toggle, but you can actually turn it down. When the leptin goes lower, you got to fill up your fuel tank because you're hungry. So it's part of our gas, our fuel gauge to let us know if we're hungry and we need to fill up or not. Okay. So very important because if we didn't know we had to need to fill our tanks, we'd starve. Mm. All right. It's a signal. Second, there's a hormone called adiponectin. Okay. And if and many of your listeners may not know what adiponectin is, I'll tell you, uh, uh, if I, uh, Tom, uh, took you into a medical clinic, drew your blood for a regular physical exam, and told the lab from a vial of blood to measure every hormone in your body and tell me what the levels were, including adiponectin, that adiponectin in your body would be 1,000 times higher than any other hormone in your body. 
It's crazy. A thousand. Now, why is it that important? Because adiponectin, is, which is made by fat, is what allows insulin to bring fuel into your body. Is it a is it a molecule that's calling for fat? Is it saying, or for it, the insulin to come and store it, in it its- It partners with insulin to make insulin's effect of bringing in your blood glucose more efficient. It mm. actually, insulin will do its job, adiponectin will do it a lot better. In fact, so what happens is that if you screw up your fat and you don't make adiponectin, so let's say ultra skinny, somebody with less than 5% body fat, like bodybuilder type, mm. all right? <laughs> they're not having a lot of adiponectin. They actually have poor problems with energy. Because right? they don't have enough fat cells Because they don't have fat to make the adiponectin to, to have their insulin working. Okay, I'm not following though. Why Why does? Why do we need such a high quantity? And do you know the mechanism of action? What is it actually doing? So I have a visual I can put around yeah. what insulin does in terms of coming to the cell, looking for insulin receptors and actually shuttling typically glucose. Yep into the cell to actually store it as adipose tissue. But I don't know what adiponectin a, a, a binds to its a different receptor on the same cell that insulin does. And it actually uh, helps insulin's function. It actually triggers the, the pathway that it allows insulin to bring in that energy more efficiently, swifter. It's kind of like uh, uh, WD-50. It's kind of like the grease to allow insulin to actually mm. bring that fuel in. Hmm. If you don't have it around, You'll, insulin will still work, but not quite as efficiently. Your Are energy, there diseases where uh, depenectin is uh, breaks down and we start having problems? And if so, what does that look like? Well- you know, I think that uh, there are inherited diseases where a dipinectin may be affected, and you know, people might not survive. They can't. Their metabolism—it's like inherited disorders of metabolism. Would it have the same result as insulin resistance, where you just can't produce enough it, to get it, it in? It kind of like is like insulin resistance. Like mm -hmm. insulin's not not performing uh, what it uh, what it wants to actually do. And do you know? Does the body respond to that by producing more insulin? Thinking like, yeah. oh, this is, I just like, need to keep shoving more in to get this out of the bloodstream. To see if they can. So insulin levels will rise. Mm. And so basically, if you have too low amounts of body fat, you don't have enough adiponectin. All right. Um, what happens is that your insulin's not functioning properly. Your body will make more insulin to see if it's, maybe the problem is insulin. Let's make some more insulin. So that's if you have too low body fat. Similarly, if you've got too much body fat, all right, by the way, before we go there, Adiponectin brings the the energy helps insulin bring the energy in. A third hormone made by fat is called resistin. Mm. If adiponectin is the gas pedal, resistin is the brake. So you're 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 eating fuel. You're 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 eating food. You want fuel. Insulin is going to store it into your cells. So you're in the fast lane now. Adiponectin goes boom, pedal to the metal. Let's get in the fast lane to make our metabolism as efficient as possible. Let's bring that energy in, baby. All right. Resistin is the brake. Oh, got a truck ahead. Slow down. Not so fast. Mm -hmm. All right. And so this gas pedal brake, accelerator and brake, works all the time to help fine tune our metabolism at different points of the day. Very, very important. Too little fat, like ultra lean bodybuilding, you know, or starvation, you know, uh, type of situation. You don't have enough adiponectin. You're going to be very, very weak. And your insulin is going to try to rise to compensate, but still it's not working efficiently. Mm. That's how important it is. Now, the other side of the spectrum, all right, if you have too much body fat, this is where fat functions like a cancer. So fat, like any organ, requires a blood supply. 
But if you actually overeat and you have too much fuel stored, it's like going to the gas station and instead of having the click in the nozzle when your tank is full, mm. there's no click. It just keeps on pouring out gasoline. What's going to happen in your car? Gas tank fills up, the gas, the fuel runs out of the tank, down the side of the car, around your tires, around pools around your feet. And now in a gas station, you're standing in a toxic, flammable, dangerous mess. Now in your body, we don't also, we don't have an automatic clicker. So to stop, all we do is we can keep on eating seconds, thirds, something delicious, or maybe even worse, something not good for you, like ultra processed foods or sodas, mm -hmm. and you just keep on slugging it down. Your, your metabolism is, your, is going to store it into body fat. And now your body fat can expand 300 times its size. Now you cannot see body fat uh, uh, with a naked eye. You need a microscope to see the cell of body fat. But once it blows up 300 times, you can actually start to see these fat mm. cells, all right? So you keep on eating, it blows up more. Keep on eating, it blows up more. More fat stored, more energy stored. Oh, run out of fat cells, so for, your fuel tanks are all stuffed up. Your body will tap into stem cells to make more fat cells. Mm. And now those will get filled up as well. So you can see how overloading on fuel. When does it start? So when you get something like uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, uh, I assume we've filled up all of our cells. That's right. We're not able to make new cells fast enough. Exactly. And so now is, is now there the fuel literal triglycerides? Well, what like happens leaking? is that the fuel leaks out of the fat cells. In what form? It, it's actually like squeezing out? Uh, well, it, it's, it's stored in a particular triglyceride form in the cell. But when it leaks out, it starts to really become uh, uh, different types of of short, medium, and long chain fatty acids that are just seeping out, okay, mm. of our of our of our fat Will that cells stay in the blood. It'll How go, do we get to something like non alcoholic fatty liver yeah, disease? Yeah, so chronic overeating is basically like chronically overfilling your gas tank. Yep, the fuel is going to start leaking out in of the cells, out of the fat chain. cells, out of the fat cells, and it actually goes right into your bloodstream. Yep, and because your liver detoxifies your blood, it goes straight to the liver, and unfortunately, fat in that leaking form is toxic to liver cells. So as the liver is trying to clean up your blood to detoxify it, the fat toxins, the leaked fat toxins kill your liver, injure your liver, which then leads to scarring, which then leads to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is off Offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. And that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for 
a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash impact and use code impact to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply Interesting. So it's not actually an accumulation of fat on the cells of the liver, which is what I was imagining. I was imagining like visceral fat on the liver, but it's not. It's scarring the liver. It's, it's actually destroying yeah. it. I mean, first the fat Whoa. actually does accumulate, but then it's toxic. All right. Is it accumulating around the liver in the same way that it would accumulate around other organs, or is it because it, it's trying it, to it, process it, it out of the blood? It infiltrates the liver. So, it, so you know, if you if you look at a a, a CAT scan of somebody who has uh, visceral fat or a lot of subcutaneous fat, you'll see a rind of the fat in different parts of the body. In the liver, it's much more nefarious. When fat accumulates in a liver, it kind of penetrates the spaces between the cells. And just gets stuck there? It just or? gets stuck there. Whoa. And while it's stuck there, it poisons and it's toxic to the liver cells. Mm. So it's fat plus liver. The liver cells are dying. The fats are still there. And then when the cells are dying, uh, uh, you know, your body's trying to clean it up, autophagy and all that other kind of stuff, except that there's, it can't regenerate fast enough. Liver actually regenerates, can't regenerate fast enough. And the toxicity causes inflammation of the liver. And then the inflammation kills the liver more and then scarring sets in. And now you've basically replaced normal liver cells with hard scar. Hmm. So if we catch that early, can we reverse it in diet? We can but the problem is that uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is kind of this slowly sneaking up on you disease. Most of the time, like, like by the time you know you have a problem or the doctor can detect you have a problem, it's really the end result. It's the car crash, you know, that was happening in slow motion for years, mm. right? But so, and and by the way, this is actually one of the big epidemics. It's a pandemic really of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. It's the number one reason for having liver transplants now. Wow. Used to be alcohol, no more, or hepatitis, hmm. no more. It's now overload of fuel, leaking toxic fat that scars your liver, shuts it down, and now you need a liver transplant. Okay, so uh, why does alcohol create fatty liver disease? I get why overeating and you just literally run out of storage yeah. space, which means it's in your blood, which means yeah. the liver's trying to clean it up. Yeah. But with alcohol, why isn't it just scarring from alcohol? When does it become fat? Got it. So look, check this out. Alcohol is directly toxic to your body. And the liver is very sensitive because the liver is desperately trying to detoxify the body, metabolize mm -hmm. alcohol into 
you know, uh, something less toxic. All right. So on one hand, too much alcohol, it's not, you know, it's not a glass of wine. It's not a beer. It's chronic alcoholism that actually uh, weighs on the liver by poisoning the liver, direct toxicity. But guess what? Alcohol is the sugar. So mm. alcohol itself is overloading your cells. You gotta, it, it's gotta, it's gonna be stored into the fat, which is so then gonna grow. Are you up, still then running into the same problem? So is it literally, uh, it starts as your cells are trying, your liver's breaking it down, sending it to be stored. You're overfilling your cells. It's coming in too fast to make new cells. It's leaking back out of the cell. Yeah. And now the liver is trying to clean up the fat. And that's the, now we have the exact that's, same problem. That, that is one of the common pathways. However, don't forget alcohol that we sip, we drink, we chug. All right, the, the you know the keg party. That alcohol is right in our blood and goes straight to the liver. Mm-hmm. All right, where it's poisons the liver. So basically, yeah, but I'm trying to figure out why it's called fatty alcohol disease. Like why why I if if it is what we just went through, and at first well, it overwhelms your metabolism, your fat stores are kicking it back yeah. out because it's just too much, too yeah. fast. Right, and then we're back into the liver, then I understand the process. If it isn't that, I don't. Let me ask the question a slightly different way. You're a medical doctor. If I set before you a liver that had uh, alcohol-driven fatty liver disease, and I set one in front of you that had uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, could you tell the difference? Yeah, they, or, would, they would look different under the microscope because the alcohol itself poisons the liver. So it's basically, uh, uh, you, you see alcoholic livers are actually shrunken. Hmm. They're not as fatty. So you, you call it a fatty alcohol disease. It's uh, Alcoholic livers are shrunken because actually they're poisoned and they start to decrease. It's true, some fat can accumulate because alcohol itself gets metabolized and stored into fat. So over time, and by the way, this is not a, it's not, like I said, it's not a, tr- it's not a light switch. It's not like if you don't drink, you're going to be fine. If you drink, you're going to be, co- mm. your goose is cooked. This is a matter of degree. If you abuse your, if you abuse food, even healthy foods, or you abuse drink over time, these are the kinds of things that can actually happen. So moderation, self-control, discipline, taking it easy, you know, fasting, you want to go there. Um, all those things can actually contribute to reversing the good thing about the liver is that it's one of the organs in our body that clearly regenerates at a very very fast pace there's not that many organs that can actually do it quickly but the liver if i took your liver and removed any operating two-thirds of your liver the one-third that's remaining will grow the rest of it back over the course of a year so injured livers if you give it a break cut down on your uh, food intake your caloric intake Stop drinking, the damage will start to reverse. That's even if you have scarring. Well, at the point of scarring, no, that's there forever. That's that's why you want to then be. Could you go cut out? Like, let's say that uh, two thirds of your liver is scarred. Could you go in and cut out a third or a half and get that to then regenerate? I assume it would regenerate healthily. You know, unfortunately, the damage can be very, very uniform. Hmm. So you sort of just need to replace it. That's why liver transplant's common. Interesting. Okay, I'll believe you. Obviously, you know so much more about it. It seems like you should be able to cut a piece off and have it grow back, but- Well, it uh, it will try to grow back, except that once you've actually replaced- healthy liver cells called hepatocytes with scar tissue, mm. there's not enough cells, working cells left to, to regenerate. Got right? it. So, and by the way, when you Got regenerate, it. when the liver regenerates, it needs to grow within a happy medium of its own 
uh, architecture. It needs to be in the garden of the liver. Mm. But when the garden of the liver is filled with scar tissue, it can't doesn't have enough stuff to hang on to. It can't reform a healthy liver. Right. You've got scar that's kind of all the interstices is kind of penetrated the liver, mostly scar tissue, um, uh, and and you can't grow back. Right. What the has scar been, tissue won't do the regeneration process. It not only won't, it'll actually start any cells that do want to regenerate, it'll block their path because it's in the way. Hmm. So you can't replace the scar. Wow. Okay. That sucks. Um, I want to go back to the sumo wrestler so that we can get to the the full picture here of okay. what I'm really trying to understand. Okay. So we know you need some fat. Yep. One of the earliest things that you get as a fetus is fat. Right. Super important. We find babies cute because they're pudgy, because pudgy is good for them. Uh, as we get older, I know that we have a deeper road to go down, which we'll probably go down after we finish the sumo thing, uh, of these phases of metabolism, but it's, uh, you need some fat for many reasons, but I certainly before reading your book, and I think even still, I think you're going to say this is true, that there is a point at which you become too fat. And now the fat becomes problematic. And I'm wondering, is that point you're a hundred percent fine. It is not negatively impacting your health in any way as long as the fat isn't being squeezed back out. Or is there like a BMI that you sort of ballpark and say, look, if you're as long as you're under 15% body fat for a guy and 23% body fat for a woman, though I'm making those numbers up, but like you're fine. Um, is it that or is it no, as long as it doesn't squish back out, you're good. It has to do with the fact that every individual has their own optimal amount of fat in their body that they carry around. And how do you know when it becomes a problem? What are the signals? Uh, the, you know, the metabolism is a great, actually, clue. Uh, obviously, you can measure... Sub, so first of all, fat comes in different forms. White fat, brown fat. The white fat can be under the skin, subcutaneous under the skin. Why don't you break be, down real fast? What What is white fat? Okay. White fat is the most common fat. It's most of the fat in our body. Um, and it looks white under the microscope, uh, and it can be located in two, and it functions, the, it, it's a fuel tank, it actually um, uh, it, it gives a padding, and it can be located in two main areas. One is under the skin, which you can see. That's the wiggly, jiggly, lumpy, bumpy stuff that you see in a mirror. It's the muffin top, it's the thigh and butt, it's the stuff under the arm, under the chin. That's, a, that's subcutaneous, you can see it. Then a more dangerous version of white of white fat is uh, called visceral fat. Visceral means gut. So this is uh, fat that's packed inside the tube of your body. All right. So you could be thin, be looking thin, mm. have a thin tube, but have a lot of fat in there. Or you could be a big person with a and 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 have a lot of extra fat as well. Or maybe not so much fat. You're just you just got a big frame. All right. The amount of visceral fat turns out to make a big uh, have an impact. It's a more deadly kind of fat. Visceral fat, think about it like um, peanuts that you would put into a container you're shipping. Like you go to a FedEx and you're going to ship some light, uh, some fluorescent light bulbs. So you're going to ask for a thin box and now you got to pad that light bulb. So you're going to ask for some peanuts. You can buy a big pack of peanut, peanuts. You're going to throw them in and you've got just enough. But yeah, I don't want to waste the peanuts. I'm going to stuff them all in there. Okay. And now you've actually put way too many peanuts for that box, but you can force them in there so much that the peanuts are actually choking the light bulbs. Mm. Force the box shut, tape it shut. 
at arm's length, that's still a skinny box. But inside, the peanuts are killing the light bulbs. That's what can happen. That's what skinny fat is when you have too much visceral gut fat. It's like a baseball glove of fat wrapped around your organs, and it's filled with inflammation when it's too big. Now, the, re the reason that big, huge amounts of fat become dangerous is because they outstrip their blood supply. When you have normal amounts of fat, they're fed like every other organ in your body, but with blood vessels. You need oxygen, you need nutrients into your blood vessels. This is what I study. It's a process called angiogenesis, how blood vessels grow. And when fat expands, because you're loading up the fuel, okay, before it leaks, you're loading up the fuel, it's gonna grow. Now now you're loading it up, we need some more more fat cells to grow. If when it when it starts to grow beyond its blood supply, you can fill it up much faster than the blood vessels can grow. Then what happens in the center of that mass of fat? It starts to die. It doesn't have enough oxygen. And if it doesn't have enough oxygen, it starts to die. You get inflammation. Once inflammation gets into that mass of white fat in your gut, the visceral fat, think about that skinny FedEx pack with too many peanuts, or it could be a big package as well. All right. It's also got too much uh, packing in it. Then what happens is that inflammation completely causes chaos among the hormones that are there. Now, that fat that was making leptin, making adiponectin, making resistant, it gets confused because there's so it's like a wildfire going on in there. It's chaotic. Leptin goes, well, I don't know. Should I be high or low? Should you be hungry or not hungry? I can't tell anymore. I forgot. Adiponectin goes, well, should I be making more should be, or should be less? Uh, I, I don't know. I, what do I do with insulin? I don't know. And so adiponectin start going up and down. Just like, remember I told you, if you don't have enough fat, adiponectin goes down. If you have mm. too much fat, it's inflamed. Your your fat doesn't know how much adiponectin to make anymore. It's confused. It's got brain fog. Same thing as resistant. I don't know. Break on or break off. And that's really the beginning of metabolic syndrome. How do you tell metabolic syndrome? You have insulin resistance. Your glucose levels go high. You, you can have a big waist, uh, your waistline gets bigger, you got visceral fat. And by the way, with all that fat, uh, you got a lot of blood that's got to kind of find its way around that fat, your blood pressure goes up. It's not so easy to pump that blood through your body anymore. And that's what metabolic syndrome is. High blood pressure, right? High blood cholesterol, high blood glucose, and a big waistline. That's how you tell when you're saying, how do you know when you've actually exceeded that safe zone these are the clinical signs that we see in the medical office. Okay, so when you look at somebody and you see that they have a high body fat percentage, I'm thinking of the sumo still, you look at that and go, as long as the it was accumulated at a rate that the blood supply could keep up with that accumulation, there's not necessarily a problem here. It's a little bit more complicated than that because... Uh, Excess amounts of fat, no matter what, are going to put pressure on your circulation, on your heart. Remember, I told you, it's still hard to pump that blood, even mm. just through a lot of fat mass. That back pressure on your heart is going to actually wear down your heart. Um, now, you know, I know you want to kind of focus on the sumo. I look at sumo as kind of a uh, an, an extraordinary exaggerated and somewhat grotesque version of actually growing too much body fat to see what the, what the uh, extent is of growing body fat but still staying healthy. Now, now sumo wrestlers are healthy because they're working out all the time and although they're eating to create their big mass, all right, they're eating a relatively healthy meal. They're not eating 
French fries the whole time. It's a very regimented diet. They're exercising, they're getting diet. They're kept in stables, more or less, of training where they're actually getting sleep and they're, they, have a, they have a very rigid schedule. And their stress levels outside of competition are really, you know, they're, they're trying to stay calm most of the time. So these are all factors. These lifestyle factors also affect our body fat. Are we physically active? Are we getting enough sleep? Uh, uh, what kind of diet? What's the quality of the food, the fuel that we're actually eating? Uh, how much stress do we actually have? Mm-hmm. And now we're realizing, enter a new dragon, which is actually our gut health, our gut microbiome. Our gut microbiome, our healthy bacteria, 39 trillion of them in a healthy body, contribute to streamlining your metabolism. They work along with insulin. They work, work along with adiponectin to help your metabolism streamline pulling in that energy. If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. So I could have asked the question another way, which would maybe be even more informative as to why I'm focused on the sumo wrestler. Mm. And the other way to ask the question would be, if I wanted to get obese in a healthy way, could I do it? The reason I'm so interested in this question is there is a debate raging in culture, which is, can you be healthy at any size? And up until 48 hours ago, when I read your book, I would have said, no, you cannot. Absolutely, unequivocally, if if I look at you and you have a, a dramatically high body fat percentage, I can tell you immediately you are shortening your life, period, end of story. And I would have been able to pass a lie detector test, but it doesn't mean that I'm right. It just means I believe it. And so reading your book, I'm like, maybe there is a way to get obese in a quote unquote healthy fashion. But I need to keep exploring it. You're definitely making me believe that this is a far more intricate picture than I was originally giving it credit for. Not surprised at all. As the island of my knowledge grows, so grows the shore of my ignorance. So I'm not at all surprised to find that I didn't know nearly enough. Uh, But I am still hung up on a lot of what I think I know about the metabolic signaling that fat does. Uh, that getting fat is a sign that you have chronically elevated uh, caloric intake, uh, that you're probably overeating sugar, which is going to be another thing that we're going to need to get into, uh, and that almost certainly people that get to that level of body fat percentage, they have not done it in a controlled fashion. And so I want to know... If we just have to rule out and say, yeah, I really can't tell if you're healthy or not from looking at you, 
we're going to have to run a lipid panel or whatever metrics it is that we're going to look at. But, you know, what you're talking about actually is so uh, important to say, which is, uh, you know, as you were characterizing this, looking at somebody, you can judge whether or not they are, they're, they're unhealthy based on their body size because they're fat. Okay, let's break that down. You would not be able to look at somebody and know how what kind of body fat they have. You could guess, and you might be right, but how much visceral fat they have. You know, somebody who's obviously obese, and we we've all seen people like that. They're you know there there's that's a that's a far that's a that's a far end of the that's a that's a tail end of the curve. Those people are clearly not going to be healthy, and those people have a very shortened lifestyle. I would put a sumo wrestler on that. Scale those, for me. But those people who are morbidly obese, mm-hmm. they're not exercising. They're not eating a healthy diet. That's probably how they, partly how they got there to begin with. But what that tells they me may is have, that fat isn't the problem. It becomes the lifestyle that's the problem. Lifestyle contributes to the growth of fat, excessive fat, mm-hmm. excessive fat, right? And so what really matters for most people is actually the kind of fat you have and the extent of that that kind of fat. Visceral fat is a lot worse more white fat, more visceral fat, those are setting you up. And you know, the the opposite side of the sumo wrestler is the apparently thin person mm. who also is obese on the inside. You would never judge them to be obese. You might even think they're healthy, but they're probably not exercising, they're probably eating a very poor diet. And although you're not a human DEXA scan that could actually see the Superman to be able to peer inside the body and resolve maybe the Terminator, to, to resolve what kind of fat that they actually have, all right? They they are, uh, I wouldn't say equally unhealthy, mm. but it's very difficult to judge by the size of a person, except at the extremes. Well, according to your book, it would be the the flip. If I look at them and I realize that they are lean diabetic, they're in worse shape than an obese diabetic, so again, getting back to, we've, we have found the edges of what I understand. Yeah. So that was a very surprising find for me. Okay, so knowing that, um, that reframes obesity for me. So as soon as I read that in your book, I was like, okay, so here's the prediction that makes. And I've certainly heard other people say this, that adding fat to your body is actually a metabolically protective mechanism. And that if you're able to put on fat more easily, you are probably in better shape because you have a way to get the excess glucose out of your bloodstream, store it as fat. And if you're able, I don't like, so I get fat very easily. My wife does not. So for me, putting on fat is very simple, which tells me that either I, my fat cells, maybe they do 320% bigger or something. Or I'm or, just very good at generating the other ones. Or or your metabolism is very efficient. So based on how much you're eating uh, and the quality of the food you're eating, it gets stored into your fat quite efficiently. Mm-hmm. I wish it was a little less efficient. Uh, yeah, I hear you. So, okay. So there, for some reason, my body and people like me, they're able to get the uh, the excess sugar, energy, however you want to look at it, out of the bloodstream mm-hmm into the fat cell um, and that is very protective. And so now as they get bigger and bigger and adding on more and more fat, there is, from what I hear you saying, there are ways to do that well. And I don't yet know if you feel like it's 
there is no longevity implication to the sumo wrestler as long as he's working out. In fact, maybe that's right. Let me just ask that point blank. Uh, would you estimate that sumo wrestlers as a population will live just as long as um, anybody else that eats a similar composition of diet, I'll be clearly fewer calories? Look, sumo wrestlers are trained when they're young mm-hmm. and they work out and they have a very regimented diet i mean and a, a lifestyle they're under control but like any athlete i mean look at fat that's the part that i keep getting I lost that but but here's so here's another but here's another one think about other big athletes you look at an nfl player mm-hmm. all right oh they die they're big people Young. They're, but you know the reason that they 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 wind up eating a lot of food they have a huge caloric intake when they're working out now i think it's getting better because they're actually trying to study that but then what happens when they're when they come off the field like they retire they're still eating that kind of food, maybe worse quality food. Now they're not working out, all right? Now they actually have a completely different lifestyle where they continue to eat a ton of food, maybe not high quality food, um, and so they're overloading, but they're not actually physically active. So, and that they're at a different point in their metabolic cycle as well. So the 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 point of the matter is, is that if, you know, it's, a, it's an experiment that hasn't been done yet. If a sumo wrestler... Who, who gets trained when they're, you know, in their late teens, actually continues to have their same lifestyle over the over the entire spectrum of their adult life. It'd be like an NFL player who basically plays ball until they're six years old. It doesn't happen. We can't do that experiment. You know, like if, if you, we don't know how to do that study. If a football player were actually to do exactly what they do over the course of their life, would they live longer than somebody who stopped playing at the age of 30 and then went on to eat junk food uh, and become sedentary for the rest of their lives. We can't compare that. So for a short period of time, sumo wrestlers go to a far extreme of body fat accumulation. Some would say even a grotesque extreme in which you would think that they'd be metabolically unhealthy. You would think that they would develop diabetes. They would develop heart disease. They develop cancer. Like, because we associate this with older people who are obese. And the fact is that it's not true. They're actually remarkably fit for their size. But let's not forget, they're young, they're trained, their diet's regimented, they're exercising, their their whole life is actually contained and controlled. Because they stop their sumo training at a certain age, we won't know whether or not this early exposure is going to lead to uh, premature death, right? I mean, I would imagine that sumo wrestlers, uh, after they finish training, and I and I don't know this. I, I mean, this is data I don't know. I'm I, as a scientist, I can tell you, an honest scientist tells you when they don't know something. Sure. And I'm just telling you, I don't know if any studies have been done on retired sumo wrestlers and their metabolic consequences of their earlier training. Mm. It'd be something interesting to study. But in no case is yeah. getting fat young, protective of longevity, protective of other diseases as well. Okay, so it isn't doing them any favors. We just don't know if it's doing any harm when it's done in that very controlled, so many aspects of the lifestyle are on point, uh, but they're still getting fat. It's interesting. So here, here's the base assumption that's driving my obsession with hmm. sumos in this interview. I have lurking in the back of my mind, even though very smart people have tried to tell me to let go of this, but it doesn't make sense to me yet. Again, could just be ignorance. I have a feeling that th- there's just only so much food calories that you can process in a lifetime. 
and that you, I, people tell me not to think of it like this, but I just think it is the right way to think about it, that the body eventually has done all the things that it's going to do, that whether it's um, gumming up because you've eaten a certain amount of sugar and all of that, and so just so many things stick around as they talk about forever chemicals, they accumulate, whatever. But the only thing that's shown efficacy for extending life in basically every animal that has been tried on is caloric restriction. So I infer from that then that, well, overfeeding, even if you're a Michael Phelps and you're staying shredded because you're just working all those calories off, that that you still, you ran those miles, man. Like a car that gets 250,000 miles on it, uh, it's gonna have some wear and tear to show for yeah. it. And so the metabolic system has done those 250,000 miles. So even if you're lean, even if you're a sumo wrestler and you're in good shape, I've just it just seems impossible that there isn't some sort of price to be paid for that. I agree with you. I, I, I 100% agree with you. I mean, you can actually, I think that it's an interesting kind of calculation to make, right? You eat three meals a day, average person lives, what, 82 years old now? You can calculate the number of meals you're eating. You can calculate based on your body size, uh, how many calories you might or might not be eating every day if you were ideal. You can calculate how many blood vessels are in your body, 60,000 mi- 60, uh, 60, miles worth of blood vessels. You can calculate the, the number of times your heart's going to beat uh, uh, over the course of a lifetime. You know, um, And you can actually probably come up with a metric that approximates fairly accurately what the total caloric what what the what the Goldilocks zone, the zone mm-hmm. of tolerability of the calories that you could intake over the course of your life would be. And so, you know, to 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 um to uh, uh, to to work with you on this thought process, this thought exercise, you know, I wonder if you were to eat more calories, if you assume that there's a, a caloric bank account that you're limited to over the course of your lifetime. If you eat more in the beginning and less at the end, uh, do you, does everything balance out? Mm. Don't really know, you know. And I think it's because there's so many interconnectedness. Or you eat less in the beginning, you know. Kids born during wartime that are starving, right? And then later on, they they have a period of prosperity. War's over. Now we have to, and we got a job, and now we're actually exiting our company that we started. And now you just start to pick out. And so now t- later on in life, you wind up uh, overfeeding. Mm. net net from the from your bank account as long as you stayed within those calories are you going to be okay now if you exceed those allowable calories it's i'm just i'm playing this mind game with you it's really interesting to think about i that'd be like a great model like a research model to actually mm. you like after this thing i'm going to start to work on that probably because it's so interesting yeah over the course of your lifetime mm. Yeah, this is a this is a really interesting question. I found the book so fascinating because you're really pushing against some of the notions that I felt most confident in. So one thing, as we're going through and we're talking about, you know, Michael Phelps or a sumo wrestler, I want to know: Do you think it? What's more important, diet or exercise? Both are both are equally ex, uh, important. There's no, you know, like we always want to simplify it. Like, okay, do you want to be dropped in a volcano or eaten by a shark? Neither. Okay. And I think that when it comes to exercise or diet, they go hand in hand. They're different, but they do go hand in hand. Mm. You could have a perfect diet and and do no exercise and you're going to be compromised. You could exercise your old mm. time and go and eat 
uh, a, a crappy diet, junk food staple diet, and your exercise is, you know, you might look good for a period of time, but inside you're going to be terrible. Mm. And so I think it's really, and by the way, it's only exercise and food you're talking about. What about good quality sleep? What about stress management? You know, these are the four legs of the stool for our metabolic health. All right, let's hold everything equal. And uh, let's talk now about quality of calorie. Yeah. So if I were, let's say that I was going to grossly overeat and I have a normal, more or less sedentary life and I'm going to eat five, one person, my identical twin, my identical twin is going to eat 5,000 calories a day of ice cream. And I'm going to eat 5,000 calories a day of a plant, primarily plant-based diet with a little bit of fish and chicken and stuff. But I'm still eating 5,000 calories. It's not easy. Anybody that's tried it, I know. Yeah. Uh, but I managed to get my calories in. So we both have the same overage. Will the blood, will whatever metrics you look at, uh, whether it's visceral adipose tissue, where it's stored, my cholesterol levels and what parts of that may or may not matter, uh, the walls of my arteries, like, is there going to be any difference given that we're eating the exact same number of calories? This is for people who say it's just a question of calories. It right. doesn't matter what they're making. Well, I mean, you know, the, the whole idea of, of quality calories is absolutely critical. You know, you can have uh, a candy bar that has 300, 400, 1,000 calories, or you could actually have a, a garden salad that you load up that has the same amount of calories. Mm. Candy bar has got artificial preservatives and flavorings and colorings and saturated fat, okay, maybe trans fats. Um, the salad is going to have the same number of calories, okay, but it's going to, if it has a tomato, it's going to have lycopene that actually helps you burn fat, by the way. It activates brown fat, which we can talk about, which will help to burn down fat. It's got uh, uh, leafy greens, uh, which watch, and maybe it's got a little uh, broccoli sprouts, and now it's got it got sulforaphanes, and, and so it's not the just simply the unit of energy that's calories, but the other stuff that accompanies it, all right, um, that is important. I'll give you an example of something else that accompanies calories. So an orange, like just a, a regular piece of beautiful citrus orange that you might have, ripe orange, juicy, it's got a lot of sugar in an orange, right? It's also, uh, but it's also got a lot of dietary fiber. That dietary fiber doesn't quite count as a calorie, but it might partially count as a calorie. Um, uh, uh, it's got, uh, it's got uh, uh, polyphenols. It's got a lot of uh, flavanols. It's got hesperidin, narogenin, all these other uh, factors. It's got a vitamin C, ascorbic acid, which lowers inflammation. And so, although you might have uh, an orange compared to a candy bar, so you can fix it to a candy bar or a bag of potato chips, all right? A bag of potato chips does not have those polyphenols, does not have that dietary fiber. And so you, it's the things that activate your body, the good defensive parts of your body help to groom your metabolism, can indeed help you fight your excess body fat, all right? It's not the presence of fat, you know, it's not, the, it's not, a, it's not a black and white thing, it's, it's the degree. And now you can eat, choose foods that can help you optimize your metabolism, help you fight body fat, and also help to activate other health defenses that will improve your longevity.